Yes, it is true. Peter saw the risen Christ with his own eyes, and we believe in him in our hearts. Jesus rose from the dead. I wish to all of you a very blessed Easter. This is an Easter like none other. It's usually the most upbeat, happy, pastel, lights, dressed up weekend of the year. But the dual crisis of the virus and the economy have left us confused and fearful and somewhat clouded uh, with uncertainty. And one other personal note, this is my very last Easter message after 42 years of pastoral ministry. And I'm just going to be honest with you, surreal doesn't begin to capture how this feels to me. And yet here we are. Now, I want to tell you that starting next week, we are beginning a four-week sermon series that we're calling What Now? Faith When Nothing's Normal Anymore. I think those will be very important messages to help us get our bearings in this time. But what about today? It is Easter weekend. This is the single greatest moment in our faith. The question I want to address today is this. What does the story of the resurrection say to us at this very moment in our lives. The bodily raising of Jesus from the dead is pound for pound the hardest hitting story of all the stories in the entirety of the gospel is the best of the best of the best of the good news. It became the the focal point, the, the singular message that Jesus followers took out into the world when he sent them out to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria to the outermost parts of the world. The first thing out of their mouth was, let me tell you about a man who rose from the dead. Why was it so important? Well, the resurrection confirmed that there is life after death. The resurrection confirmed that there is a resurrection body. Jesus had one. We will have one. We are not just spirit beings. The resurrection confirms that all the teachings of Jesus are true and real. And we're to follow them because the resurrection proves that he is indeed God. The resurrection confirms that sin can be atoned for. We can be forgiven. The resurrection confirmed all the prophecies of the Old Testament. It was the inauguration of Jesus as king of humanity, king of the cosmos. And the resurrection marked the commencement of the kingdom on earth, his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Now in those, these last 40 some years, I've preached on all of these crucial products of the resurrection. But I want to look at another aspect of the story, honestly, that I've never looked at before, that is deeply personal to to all of us and very attuned to our present reality. I want to look carefully at a moment in the story that literally, I think, maybe just took seconds. Something happened to Peter that can happen to you and to me. Something happened to Peter in just a few seconds That should happen to you and to me. Uh, Peter, after weeks of turmoil, and we've looked at this over the past five weeks. He experienced weeks of turmoil, soul-crushing, heart-rending, stomach-churning, guilt-inducing moments. You're going to see that like that, Peter suddenly stumbled into hope. What What is hope? Is it an emotion? Is hope an event? Is it a state of mind? Whatever it is, I need it, and I think you do too. President Franklin Roosevelt said this, 
We have always held to the hope, the belief, the conviction that there is a better life, a better world beyond the horizon. Ralph Waldo Emerson said this, the health of the eye seems to demand a horizon. We're never tired so long as we can see far enough. And Pope Francis had this to say, hope opens new horizons, making us capable of dreaming what is not even imaginable. And right now, it is hard for us to imagine getting beyond where we are today. We need hope. This Easter, I want to lift your eyes to the horizon. And through this marvelous story, remind us of one of the greatest promises of God that we find through the mouth of the prophet Jeremiah, who said this about you. He knows God has plans for you, plans to give you, uh, to prosper you and to not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. I hope when we're done today, you will have a little bit of that hope and your eyes will be lifted to the horizon. But first, let's do a little bit of the backstory as in previously in the life of Peter. We've seen through the circumstances in the last week of Jesus' life from the the time uh, uh, in the Last Supper, all the chaos of the Last Supper that was going on there, into the garden, uh, into the betrayal by Judas, uh, the trial, and then, of course, the crucifixion. Uh, Peter was overwhelmed with confusion and guilt and fury and grief. By the time we get to that Sunday morning, Peter's mind and heart were a dumpster fire. So let's see what happened to him. But let's back up a little bit and talk about what exactly happened on that resurrection morning. And this is a composite of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'll take pieces of the story. So I'm pulling them together into one to tell you what I think happened that morning. Sometime while it was still dark or very early in the morning, an angel or several angels appeared at the tomb. Now, I don't know if they caused it or God caused it, but apparently there was a violent earthquake. And I don't know whether it was the earthquake or the angels, but that heavy stone that was covering the entrance of the, of the tomb was pushed aside. And there were guards there. Pilate had, uh, the Roman uh, ruler, Pilate had put guards there just to make sure that nobody came and tried to steal the body. And they were freaked out. And we presume they abandoned their post because of these angels and the, earth, and, and the earthquake. Now at dawn, it was still probably a little bit dark, a group of women approached the tomb with spices. Now they were doing this to, they were going to cover Jesus' body and it would cover over the odor of decompos- uh, a body that was uh, in decomposition. Now it was likely Mary Magdalene, another woman named Mary, Salome, Joanna, And likely others, it's hard to say how many, but there were a bunch of women who went to the tomb. And they entered the tomb. And they discovered that Jesus' body was gone. And suddenly, the two angels appeared to them, presumably the ones that had moved the the rock, the stone, and, and scared the women half to death. And they ended up face down on the ground. And the angels said, kind of chided them. And they said, don't be afraid. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Look, you don't see a body here, do you? He's risen from the dead. Remember, he told you this would be the case. So go tell his disciples. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. So I would appreciate if you grab a Bible, see if you can find one in your house or wherever you're watching this, and turn to John chapter 20, verse 1. John chapter 20, verse 1. And while you're looking, um, 
let me tell you that the last several weeks uh, have been actually a lot of fun being a part of the worship services as, the, as, as, they've, been, as they've been rolling out because the live chat is cracking me up. You're digging it. You're saying hello to everybody. You're having a great time. Um, and one person a couple weeks ago said, it was kind of funny. They said uh, they feel a little guilty because their mom yelled at them when they were growing up to, not to talk into church. And they said, look, I'm talking to all, all through church. But I also noticed something in the last couple of weeks. When the sermon happens, all the chat stops. And I'm curious as to why that's happening. I would be perfectly fine if you keep the chat up during the sermon. Now, I'm not talking about talking to one another, but I'd like you to engage in the sermon. Let's crowdsource the sermon. Throw in your thoughts as I'm preaching or uh, at, throw in a, a, an amen or a well or something and uh, continue the chat as we look at this passage of scripture and look at this moment in Peter's life. Here we go. Uh, John chapter 20, verse one. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple. We're going to find out that was John, the one whom Jesus loved. And she said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Now, this is a little bit confusing. I'm not going to lie because she's acting like she didn't see the angels and she didn't it may be that she did hear the angel say that his body is gone and she still hadn't believed it. But anyway, she tells Peter, we don't know where they've taken the body. Verse three, Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They're both running, but some people do. I don't know why people do this. Some people have tried to decide how far they ran. Three quarters of a mile. It really doesn't matter. Uh, they were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter. That's John is faster than Peter for some reason. They reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. This, this little detail in the story has fascinated me every time I read it because it's like uh, I, I just imagine Jesus rising from the dead and one of two things happened either the angels took all these the, these these linens that were, were wrap, he wrapped up around his body and they folded them up neatly and put them there or even cooler Jesus took all the things that had wrapped his body in his head he folded them up and put them there I just find that fascinating verse 8 then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed for until then they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead and then they went home now it's these last two verses verses eight and nine that I want to focus on and the few seconds in the in the, this moment that I think happened to these guys to Peter and to John uh, it says in verse nine look at verse nine again for until then they still hadn't understood. Or another way to say it is at that moment, they did understand. They finally understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. So let me reword verses eight and nine this way. Here's how I would interpret it. At that moment, they got it. They finally understood that Jesus had to rise from the dead and they believed. At that moment, they had hope hope. After weeks of uncertainty and fury and sadness and fear, they lifted their eyes, or, or maybe I should say, Jesus 
lifted their eyes. His resurrection lifted their eyes to the horizon. They have been looking down. They have been so focused on themselves and their, their brokenness and their, their confusion and their fear. And suddenly their eyes lifted to the horizon. And in their hearts, they had hope. Now, what I would like to do is explore with you what may have happened to them in that moment. Because I think something changed in their heads, in their minds, that made its way into their hearts and finally into their behavior. What was it? If I made this into, everyone's made this into a movie, but if I made this into a movie, here's what I would do. I would picture, I'd bring a close-up on Peter standing in the empty tomb, look of shock on his face, when suddenly, this is the way I would film it, he has one of those high-speed flashbacks where images and words and moments and memories all mashed together start flying through his brain. Now, what I see, what I think happened to Peter and John in that moment, this flashback they had is in three categories. First of all, I believe in their minds they were picturing the supernatural or otherworldly events that had happened that morning. Um, it doesn't tell us in John chapter 20 that Mary told them about the angels, but I am quite sure that Mary or the other women told Peter and John about the two angels, maybe about the earthquake, I don't know, that the stone had been rolled away. And I believe that shocked Peter and it caused Peter to actually reflect on the last three years of his life. And I, th I think he had images of Jesus walking on the water. He had images of Lazarus being raised from the dead and 5,000 people being fed and the blind man being healed and water turned into, into wine and demons being cast out of people. I think Peter suddenly had a flashback of all the amazing supernatural things that were going, that went on in his life and what happened that morning through the resurrection of Jesus. But that wasn't the only thing in his flashback. I think a ton of Old Testament scriptures, things that he had been taught as a child, maybe the things that Jesus had taught them suddenly made sense. I mean, it says in verse nine, until that moment, they hadn't understood the scriptures, but turning that on its head, at that moment, they understood the scriptures. Things that probably had never made sense to them, like Isaiah 53, 10 and 11, where the prophet Isaiah, looking hundreds of years into the future, said, it was the Lord's will to crush him, referring to this one in the future, and cause him to suffer. And after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. I'm sure as a young man, Peter was like, who is he talking about? But all of a sudden, oh, that's, he was talking about Jesus. Or maybe even Psalm 16 that David wrote, where David said, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. I can imagine Peter as a child saying, who is the Holy One? And why is he talking about not rotting in the grave? And all of a sudden, the scriptures made sense to him and the supernatural events were flying through his brain and the, and, and the, the scriptures were, were flying through his brain. And then I think he also, and I'm speculating here, I think at that moment, the words of Jesus suddenly made complete sense. I'm sure maybe weeks or days before Jesus said something like this. The son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Now, I got to be honest, I am not sure Peter and the other disciples totally understood what Jesus was talking about until that moment. That's what he was talking about. 
Or maybe Jesus saying this, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And I'm sure Peter, like everybody else, is going, what are you talking about? Tearing down the physical temple. But now he realized what Jesus was indeed referring to. And it was that Jesus was going to raise from the dead. In that high speed flashback moment, Peter went from, watch this, uncertainty to what? To hope. Can that happen to us? Can it? Yes, it can. It can. And if you're ready right now to start paying attention with a level of intensity that maybe you have never mustered in your life, in the same three ways that Peter received hope, you and I can receive hope. But I'm going to say it again. It's only going to happen if you're willing to pay attention. So here we go. We will have hope if we pay attention to the supernatural. Now, I'm talking about paying attention to the supernatural in the middle of this pandemic, in the middle of a, an economy that is being crushed. Pay attention to the supernatural. Are you willing to start watching, even in the middle of this mess, watch for where God is moving around you and working in you? Don't just take in the horrific news, and there's going to be plenty of that in the days ahead. But pay attention, lift your eyes, and see if you can see the miraculous. See if you can see the supernatural. See if you can see the unique ways that God is working through this. Notice an encouragement that you receive that comes out of nowhere. Be conscious of new personal connections that you didn't have, new relationships. Maybe God's in it. Look for God things. Look for miracles and review miracles from the past, including the resurrection, to remind yourself Remind yourself that God still moves. Dwell. Let's all together dwell on the borderland of the supernatural. Even in this pandemic, God still intervenes in the affairs of humanity. Look for it. Watch for it. Tell one another if you want hope. Start looking for the supernatural and you will find it. We will have hope. If we pay attention to the supernatural, we will also have hope if we pay attention to the scriptures like Peter did, especially the promises of God. This is the time to pay attention to the promises that God has made you and to claim them and to hang on to them and hold them close to your heart and say them out loud and write them down and repeat them to one another and to yourself. Promises like this. I already read this one. I have plans for you, plans to give you hope and a future. Jeremiah 29. Or from Isaiah 40, wait on the Lord and he will renew your strength. You will mount up with wings as eagles. You will you know, run and not grow weary. You will walk and not faint. Or this one from Isaiah 41. Do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. Or from the prophet Nahum, the Lord is good. A refuge in times of troubles. He cares for those who trust in him. Claim these promises. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Isaiah 43, claim that promise. Hang on to those scriptures. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. We will have hope if we pay attention for the supernatural and if we pay attention to the scriptures, in particular, the promises of God. And finally, like Peter, we will have hope 
if we pay attention to the words of Jesus. I think as Peter stood there in those seconds with the flashbacks that was going on in his mind, the words of Jesus were just slamming into his brain, into his heart. Come to me, all you are we- who are weary, and I will give you rest. You may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. In this world, you will have trouble. Yes, but I have overcome the world. And peace, I leave with you. Peace, I leave with you. I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Reflecting on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead allows us to remember the promises of God that they still stand. Considering the empty tomb reminds us that God has done and always will do miracles and he's doing them right now. Embracing the risen Christ turns all of Jesus' teachings into essential divine truths. My friends and loved ones, on this most peculiar, uncertain, and yes, even frightening Easter, lift your eyes to the horizon. Claim the promises of God. Watch for the supernatural. Soak in the life-giving words of Jesus. Look to the horizon, for there indeed is hope.